back in the book of Matthew, and you remember, as Joseph was saying, we started this sermon series at the beginning of the year uh, because we're learning about the kingdom of God, what it's like, who the citizens of the kingdom are, what they're like, and we took a break during summer to see what the minor prophets had to say about that, and now we're back in Matthew, and so we're jumping back in. We need to reorient ourselves, so let's remind ourselves what's happening at this point in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus has just finished preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount. It was a sermon that was all about what the kingdom of God was like and what the citizens of the kingdom are like. And now Jesus is done teaching about that for for just a very short time. And he's going to begin to demonstrate the kingdom to others. He's going to put the kingdom on display to the watching world. And the main question that was on everybody's mind as they're seeing Jesus come down this mountain is, who gets to be part of this kingdom? He's just talked about this great kingdom of God, and they want to know who gets to join it. Who gets to be welcomed in to the kingdom? Because a lot of times we think we might have an idea of something, and it turns out to be wrong. Especially when it comes to this. You might think that you're going to be very welcome somewhere, and it turns out you could be really, really wrong. It was like when Anna and I, we went to Hawaii, and uh, we thought that we'd be welcome there because, after all, it's the aloha state. Aloha meaning hello, goodbye, or welcome. So I was like, they're going to love us there. They've got to welcome us. They're the aloha state. We were wrong. We were very, very wrong. Uh, We went there to Hawaii, and especially in Maui, we would see stickers and signs all over the place that said, thanks for coming, now go home. Or we'd see stickers and signs that said, go back to the mainland. We don't want you here. Um, We saw that they were flying the Hawaiian national flag everywhere we went from when Hawaii was its own country. And they flew the Hawaiian state flag upside down. They did not want to be part of America. They wanted to disassociate themselves from America. And we were driving through Maui. And at one point, we were on a really sketchy road, and some locals literally ran us off the road and shouted, go back to the mainland. Uh, We found out very quickly that we were not welcome there. And what really got to me was that we weren't welcome for reasons that were beyond our control. I did not ask to be born in Easley, South Carolina. (laughs) This is the way it worked out for me. I can't help that we are not from Hawaii, but that's the reason that we weren't welcome. Because they had a standard that we couldn't meet. You have to understand, that was kind of the mentality of the Jewish people in the time of Jesus. The Jewish people of Jesus' day, they believed that the kingdom of God was for ethnic Israelites only. There might be a couple Gentiles allowed in, maybe, but for the most part, you had to be an ethnic Israelite to be part of God's kingdom. If you were a Gentile, you weren't welcome. If you were unclean, You weren't welcome. If you were a well-known sinner, if there was something wrong with you, you were not welcome. There were all sorts of reasons you could be excluded from God's kingdom and not welcomed into his kingdom according to the Jewish people. Now here's what makes matters even worse is that this attitude is still pervades the church today. It's still around in the church today. Many church people have come up with their own idea of who gets to be part of God's kingdom and who does not get to be part of God's kingdom. Y'all know that's right, right? Yeah? They've come up with their own idea about who's welcome and who's not welcome. Could be because of someone's past. 
could be because of someone's skin color. It could be the way they dress. It could be the kind of car they drive. It could be the kind of Bible translation they read. It could be the neighborhood they lived in, some bad habits that they have. But please understand that people today have just as many reasons to exclude others from God's kingdom as the Israelites did when Jesus first began teaching and preaching. Just as many reasons today. But here's the thing. As we go through this chapter... And we're going to observe the type of people that Jesus goes to and the type of people who come to him and how he interacts with them. We're going to notice something very interesting that that Jesus interacted with people that no one else wanted anything to do with. The great Messiah, the great teacher, the one who was growing in popularity went and he interacted with others that no one wanted anything to do with. And he's teaching us a very important lesson this morning, church, that as followers of Jesus, we should seek to reach and welcome all kinds of people because Jesus calls all kinds of people. We, as a people, as Christ followers, should seek to reach and welcome all kinds of people because Jesus calls all kinds of people. And and the main question that I want going through your mind as we study this passage together this morning, as we're reading these verses, I want you to be be asking, what do Jesus' actions teach us about the kinds of people he calls and welcomes? What do his actions teach us about the kinds of people he calls and welcomes? And I want you to notice what we read in verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, When he came down from the mountain... Great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now here's what you have to understand. Of the three people that Jesus is going to interact with in this passage and heal in this passage... This one would have been the hardest one for the Jewish people to come to terms with. Uh, Leprosy was a a terrible, terrible thing to have in the time of Jesus. Lepers were outcasts. Lepers were social pariahs. Leprosy, it was a terrible disease to have. If you had leprosy, you would have white patches all over your skin. And you would have these oozing, running sores all over your skin. And you would often lose feeling in your extremities, which meant that many lepers would end up losing fingers and toes and things like that. Leprosy was terrible, and not only was it highly contagious, it was thought to be incurable. All of that sounds pretty bad, right? We can just agree, yeah, that sounds terrible. But what made it worse, and and the worst part, for the Jewish people at least, was that if you were a leper, you were considered ceremonially unclean. If you were a leper, according to Leviticus 13, lepers had to be put outside the city. They were totally ostracized by the Jewish people. They were totally isolated from the Jewish people. In fact, lepers were considered unfit to worship the Lord. They weren't allowed within 300 feet of a healthy person. If they found themselves in a situation or in a crowd where there were healthy people, a leper had to cover his mouth and shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. No one was allowed to go to them and tend to them or take care of them. Because then, that person would be considered unclean as well and also face isolation. 
This is the reality of what it was like to be a leper in the time of Jesus. And yet we see an interesting one here, don't we? We see here a leper who does not cover his mouth and shall unclean. We see here a leper who does not avoid crowded places. He goes right into the crowded places. He doesn't remain in isolation. And anybody looking at this man would have said, not only is he unclean, he's defiant. He's not following the rules. This man needs punishment. But when Jesus saw this man, he saw a man of great faith. This leper recognized Jesus is the Messiah, which is why he starts by calling him Lord, Master. He sees Jesus from a distance and all the social regulations go out the window. He does not care about covering his mouth. He does not care about staying in isolation. He sees the one who is his only hope, who is his only hope of renewal and cleansing and restoration. And so he goes right to Jesus. He kneels down at his feet and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, I want you to notice the faith of this man. He does not go to Jesus and ask, hey, Jesus, I've heard some great things about you. I've heard the rumors. Do you think you could do something for me? He doesn't go to Jesus and say, are you able to heal me? Do you have that kind of power, Jesus? No, instead, this man goes to Jesus and he says, I know you can heal me. I know you can make me clean. The question is, are you willing Don't miss what this man is actually asking. He's asking, is the Messiah willing to accept someone the world has rejected? Will he welcome someone that the world has cast out? And here's what's amazing about this story. Maybe the most amazing part of this story just gets read over and overlooked all the time. Jesus, being God incarnate, has the power to heal someone just by saying, be healed. Right? We're going to see that in just a few verses. What does he do with the leper? He reaches out and touches him. The one thing you're not supposed to do with lepers, and Jesus does it. Why? Why would he not just say, be healed? Why go to such lengths to reach out and touch him? It's because no matter how unclean you are, you cannot make Jesus unclean. When you touch the Savior, you get cleansed. You don't make Him dirty. Jesus is saying here, He's wanting to show this man that His filth is not too much for Jesus. That His disease is not too much for Jesus. That even if the rest of the world has rejected this man and cast him out and looks down on him, Jesus is willing to welcome him into His kingdom. And He's teaching us a lesson, church. I want you to pay attention to this. What we're learning is that Jesus welcomes those whom the world rejects. And praise God for that. Amen? Jesus welcomes those whom the world rejects. And you might be thinking, okay, pastor, I get it, but we're not necessarily surrounded by a bunch of lepers today. True. So when we're reading this story, we don't need to be thinking necessarily in terms of lepers, but we need to be thinking in terms of the people that the world rejects, and asking ourselves, well, who are those that the world rejects today? Who are those that the world looks down upon and casts out? And I think you know this to be true, but some of the most despised and rejected people in our world today are those who do not have their lives totally together. Anybody fall into that category? 
Okay, just me. That's fine. We're going to confess sin later, so y'all just give it a second, all right? People who are struggling in their lives. People who are battling sin still in their lives. Anybody who has a troubled past. Anyone who has a past that's not squeaky clean. You know this to be true. The world will look down on you and judge you and deem you to be unworthy to worship the Lord and be part of His kingdom. I think of those who are battling addictions of various kinds and how they're rejected by the world and despised by the world. Not even just uh, current addicts, but I think of recovered addicts. And this one gets me. You could have a man or a woman who has beaten their addiction, who has overcome their addiction by the power and grace of God in their lives, and the world will still judge them for battling addiction in the first place rather than celebrating the work that God has done in their life. The world and worse, the church, will often view these people just like the Jewish people viewed this leper. As nothing more than a social pariah. Someone to be disregarded and looked down upon. Someone who is not fit to worship the Lord and be part of his kingdom. And I want you to hear me say this as your pastor. Any church that takes that view is a church that has stopped following Jesus. You know, it's that time of year where our corn started coming in recently. And praise God for that. It's a great time of year. But if you, don't, if you don't farm, if you don't garden, if you've never grown corn, you might not know this, but nearly every piece of corn that you pick has something wrong with it. There is no such thing as the perfect ear of corn, at least not in my five years of experience. <laughs> All you can do is judge by the outside, right? You go into the cornfield, you look, and you say, okay, Couple indicators say it's time to pick the corn. The tassel is nice and dark. That's a good sign. The corn looks to be nice and, and full. And so you're thinking, this is a perfect ear of corn. So you start picking them thinking they're perfect, right? Then you start shucking the corn. And you pull back that husk. And what you're going to find is all the ways that it's not perfect. You're going to start seeing all those defects. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of corn, maybe the majority of corn, has these little worms on the inside you got to give them a little flick back into the yard. <laughs> These little worms that have started picking at the ends. And, and not just that, but there's often this weird, nasty gunk that has to be scraped off the corn and get rid of it. The ends are usually no good, so you got to chop those off too. The whole point is this, right? If we were to reject every single piece of corn that wasn't perfect, we'd never have any corn, right? And in the same way, I think that's a perfect picture of the church. Because if we are going to reject every single person who is not perfect, this church is going to be empty and it's going to start with me. There's no such thing as a perfect person unless you're talking about Jesus. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And in the words of someone else, if there was a perfect church and you went there, it's not perfect anymore. I didn't say it, it's not my quote. Someone wisely once said, the church is not a museum for saints, it is a hospital for sinners. And so rather than being like the world and looking down on certain people and rejecting them and ostracizing them and isolating them, we need to seek them out and welcome them because that's exactly what our Savior did. He welcomed those whom the world rejected. And not just that, I want you to notice who approaches Jesus next. He's approached next by a centurion, a Roman centurion. And this centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant or his slave. 
And Jesus says, yeah, I'll come to your house. I'll heal him. And the centurion says, no, no, no. I'm not worthy to have you come in my house. But I know that you can just say a word and he will be healed. Now, there are two big issues with this centurion. The first is that he is a Gentile, meaning he's not Jewish. He's not part of the people of God. And at the time, the Jewish people viewed the Gentiles as nothing more than dogs. So that's problem number one with this man. Problem number two is that he is Roman. And if you remember your biblical history, you'll remember that the Jewish people hated Rome and vice versa. Even though the Jewish people were back living in their own land, they were still under Roman occupation. If you want to think about it like this, Rome was like a glorified landlord, right? They, they let the, the Israelites live in the land as long as they paid their taxes and followed all the rules. But they didn't own anything, even though the land was rightfully theirs from God. And so there's a lot of tension. We read this and we read over, oh, a centurion comes home. No, no, no. You have to understand, there's ethnic tension here. He's not the right race. There's political tension. He's part of the wrong political party. This man walking up to a Jewish teacher would have caused the crowds to feel very tense and uncomfortable. How uncomfortable? Well, imagine it like this. Imagine a man wearing a MAGA hat walked into a Biden rally. There you go. That's about how tense and uncomfortable everybody would have been. And yet he comes right up to Jesus. And he reaches out to Jesus and asks him for help. What you need to understand is that no other Jewish person would have helped this man. When they saw this Roman centurion... They would have been uncomfortable at best and full of hatred at worst. And yet, I want you to notice this, despite the tension, he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus has the power to heal his servant, and he says, Jesus, just say the word and it'll be done. And notice what Jesus says to him in response. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel... Have I found such faith? I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now again, don't miss what is being said here. The Jewish people said, we're in, the Gentiles are out. And Jesus says here, the people who thought they were in, they're the ones who are actually out. And the ones they thought were out, those are going to be the ones who are welcomed in. Those are going to be the ones who get to be part of this kingdom. That's what Jesus is doing here. He is painting a picture of God's kingdom. It is not just a kingdom for ethnic Israelites only. It is not just a kingdom for people who think that God is obligated to abide by their rules and regulations concerning who gets in and who's kicked out. No, God's kingdom is a kingdom for people from all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all nations, all peoples. In glory, people of all races and nationalities and languages will praise the Lord and commune with Him forever. That is what the kingdom of God is like. And so Jesus says the word. It's almost an afterthought to everything else that's going on. He says the word. And the man is healed. And with the healing of the centurion's servant, 
Jesus is signifying to all onlookers that the kingdom of God is open to the nations. And we learn an important truth here, church. That Jesus welcomes people who aren't like us. That one might be hard to hear for a minute. Might make some of us uncomfortable, but it is true. That Jesus welcomes people who aren't like us. When we think about this centurion, again, you might be saying, Pastor, I can't remember the last time I've seen a Roman guard walk in the streets. Probably not. But you need to be thinking in terms of people who stir up feelings of hatred and animosity in us. That's what this centurion would have done for the Jewish people around him. There would have been a lot of feelings of hatred and animosity. And so we need to be asking, well, who are those people today? Who are the people in your life? Who are the kinds of people who stir up hatred and animosity in you. Like we said, there's a political difference here. And praise God, we don't have to deal with political differences anymore. Amen? Politics is like the nicest, easiest field to go with. Besides being a pastor. (laughs) Of course we have political differences today. Of course there's political tension and hostility. I mean, for like the last seven years, it seems like it's just been nothing but name-calling and finger-pointing and, you know, who can out-corrupt who. That's what we're dealing with. There's political differences. But can can I just tell you something this morning? If you think that only people in your political party are going to heaven, you're going to be shocked when you get there. It's the Bible. Get mad at it, not me. (laughs) Do you think that only people in your political party are going to be the ones in heaven? You're going to be very shocked when you get there. So you might not like people in the opposing political party. They might make you uncomfortable. You might not like what they stand for or want anything to do with them. But my question to you this morning is, are you willing to put that animosity aside for the sake of kingdom values? That's exactly what Jesus did. Never forget, he was a Jewish man who grew up in that culture in which the culture hated Rome. He's not unfamiliar with the animosity that exists there, and yet Jesus does not deny this man his request simply because he's a Roman. He puts aside that cultural animosity for the sake of kingdom purposes. Are you willing to do the same? If you are unwilling to pray for people of the opposing political party to care for them, to share the gospel with them, or Lord forbid, to welcome them into your church, then listen to me very clearly. You have prioritized American politics over kingdom values. And you're showing which kingdom you love the most. But it's not even just politics, is it? There are all sorts of other things that make us feel uncomfortable about other people today. All sorts of differences in our world. I mean... Here in the South, there's still this undercurrent of racism and xenophobia. Now, we could try to deny it and say it's not there. We're better than that, blah, blah, blah. And praise God, we have made progress. But we are lying to ourselves if we say that there is still not this undercurrent of racism and xenophobia in the South. And that has no part in the kingdom of God. There are many churchgoers in the South who want every person to look like them, dress like them, act like them, and talk like them. And listen... That is not God's kingdom. That's your kingdom and what you want it to look like. But praise God, that is not what his kingdom looks like. You don't want a billion Alexes running around and have to deal with me for all eternity. I promise you that. Anna puts up with me throughout the week. She knows. 
But these things, they have no place in the Christian heart. They have no place in the church. To think that we should require every person to look like us. Look, this will shock you, surprise you, maybe it won't. But I've actually had people get upset with me as the pastor of this church because we don't exclusively let in middle-class southern white people. I'm not joking. I've actually had people get mad at me and cuss me out because we don't only allow in middle-class southern white people. If you want to get me worked up, I'm telling you, that's the way to do it right there. If you want to watch me chase a rabbit trail in a sermon, go on a rant in a sermon, or give you a whole sermon series on why that's unbiblical, that's the way to get me worked up right there. Because racism and xenophobia are antithetical to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no female. There is no male. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Heaven will not be a sea of middle class southern white people. And praise God for that. His glory is throughout the nations. It is throughout the world. Heaven will be an innumerable multitude of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, and every people. Heaven will be filled with every skin color. Songs of praise will be sung in every language. We will see people in heaven who worship the Lord on earth in a three-piece suit. And we will see people in heaven who worship the Lord on earth in a loincloth. And they will join arms and sing the praises and glory of God for all eternity. That's the vision that we are to be working towards now, church. And listen to me, if that upsets you, and if that makes you uncomfortable, then you have lost sight of the beauty of the gospel. We aren't just to seek out people who look like us and act like us and talk like us. We aren't just to welcome those kinds of people either. We are to go and make disciples of the nations. That was Jesus' command. Go and make disciples of all nations. Are you willing to be like the Savior and welcome those whom the world rejects? Are you willing to welcome those who aren't like you? There's one other group here. I want you to notice it very quickly. Verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, this last one doesn't really seem that remarkable after the past two, does it? And it feels like you probably should have started with Peter's mother-in-law, then moved on to the centurion, and last the leper. So, why, why is this here? I mean, she's not a leper, she's not a centurion. It's Peter's mother-in-law, after all. Is there a message in here about loving in-laws? Absolutely, we're not preaching it today. So what's the point here? Why, why, why is this story here? Well, you have to keep in mind that in those days, women were completely marginalized by society. 
Uh, in those days, women had very limited educational opportunities. They had very few legal rights. Their participation in worship was restricted. They were often excluded from public life, and this only worsened as they aged. Elderly women, especially widows, were often overlooked entirely. They were marginalized by society. The Jewish male held these views so strongly that every devout Jewish male said 18 benedictions every single day. I'm going to read you one of the 18 benedictions that any devout Jewish male would say and pray every day. This is what they would say. Lord, I thank you that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. If you were devout, you would pray that every day. And it shows you what the Jewish men thought of women. Look at the categories they put. I thank you that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or Lord forbid, a woman. Now that was never prescribed by God, by the way. That was entirely created by man. And Jesus came to correct such thinking about God's kingdom. And so I want you to notice something. Look how beautiful this is. Notice his very first acts after he preaches about God's kingdom. The very first things he does. They prayed, Lord, I thank you I wasn't born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Jesus begins to display the kingdom, and he goes and touches and heals a leper. He honors the request of a Gentile. He heals a slave, and he heals a woman. It's literally Jesus' way of saying, my kingdom is not what you think it is. That you do not get to define my kingdom for yourself. He's showing us that God cares about those people that the world has disregarded. And we're seeing that Jesus welcomes those whom society neglects. Jesus welcomes those whom society neglects. You read about Peter's mother-in-law, and we ask ourselves, well, who are the neglected in society today? Those people who may not be hated, but they are overlooked. They are, they are not given the same opportunities as others. I think, unfortunately, many veterans fall into this category today, don't they? We love our veterans. We praise them as long as they're overseas, giving their lives for us. But then what happens? Many veterans come home in need of work, in need of health care, in need of assistance. And what do we do? We turn our backs on them. We overlook them. We forget about them. Thank the Lord they went overseas, but now that they're back, we don't want anything to do with them. I think this also applies to men and women being released from prison. They committed a crime. They paid their debt to society. And then they come out. And what amazes me is we still treat them as though they are still paying their debt to society. We're still treating them like they're a criminal who hasn't paid for their crimes. And so they have no ability to find a job. And when they fall on hard times, is anyone there to help them out? No, we overlook them too. Same thing can be said for the homeless community, for those with mental illnesses, for orphans. The list goes on and on. We don't necessarily reject these people. We don't hate these people. We just neglect them. We overlook them. We put them out of our minds and think nothing of them. But I hope you can see something amazing about this passage. You read this passage and you realize that Jesus was most likely to seek out and welcome those that we are least likely to seek out and welcome today. 
And that just goes to show you how far we have drifted from the Savior's heart, does it not? It just goes to show that we are not in line with Jesus' heart. We have forgotten who our Savior is. That He is not just the Savior of those people who have it all together. I'm very thankful for that. I don't know about you. He is not just the Savior of people who are just like us. He is not just the Savior of the privileged in society. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all kinds of people from all walks of life. And He has proven Himself to be the Messiah here. Because notice what Matthew says. He says, He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Quoting from Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. I don't want you to miss what the Bible is saying here, church. The Bible is saying that nothing we have going on in our lives is too much for Jesus. There's no mess that you have in your life that is too much for Jesus. There is no sin that is too great for Jesus. If Jesus was willing to receive and touch and heal a leper, I promise you He can handle whatever's going on in your life. I promise you He is willing to meet you right where you're at and cleanse you as well. Not only that, but the Bible is telling us here that even if the world looks down on us for our race, our ethnicity, our background, our heritage, not one of those things will prevent Jesus from welcoming us into His kingdom. Understand this this morning. God does not require a Jewish bloodline. He requires one thing and one thing only, and that is faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Not only that, The good news is this morning, if you feel like the world looks down on you, if you feel like the world has forgotten you, if you feel like the world overlooks you, I want you to know that God has not. God sees you, and God cares about you. And as Jesus' followers, we are to go into the world seeking others and welcoming all kinds of people because Jesus calls all kinds of people to join His kingdom. He has opened the doors to His kingdom, folks. It is open to the nations. He's taken our illnesses. He's borne our diseases. He died for our sins so that we might enter into His kingdom and hear Him say, you are welcome here. And praise God for that. Amen? Let's pray.